Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Yes, it's good to be with God's people on such a wonderful Sunday morning where we now get to study God's Word together again as a family and hear from God Himself. And so I'm thankful that we get this opportunity week in week out to remind ourselves of the truth from God's Word. We desperately need the truth, right? We need to fill our minds with the truth of God's Word. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when you write a test or some, you do a course or a subject or something like that, and you are graded, if you get the score of 99%, you're pretty chuffed with that, right? I think everyone in this room would be pretty happy with a 99% score for a course or an exam. Exactly. But what is the thing we do when we get the 99%? We are happy about the 99%, but what do we do? We want to scrutinize the 1% that we got wrong, right? Instead of being thankful for the 99%, we get so consumed with the 1% that we got wrong. And we want to fix that because we don't like it that we got that 1% wrong. Well, one thing the gospel teaches us is that, honestly, 99% is not good enough. 99% is not good enough if you want to stand before God. You need 100% if you want to get into heaven. 100%. One mistake is enough to keep you out of heaven. Do you recognize that? But the gospel also tells us that Jesus got 100% 100% of the time. Jesus got 100% 100% of the time. His entire life was 100% perfection, perfect righteousness from start to finish. And so, to fix that 1%, we have to rely completely on what Jesus has done for our standing before God. Last week we started talking about, and we've actually been talking about this, this the whole time as we've been studying the book of Galatians, but the doctrine of justification justification by grace through faith because the truth of the gospel that Paul explains again to Peter to the Jews and subsequently to the Galatians is that every important aspect of the gospel is not just knowing what Jesus did for you but believing it trusting it and holding on to it every single day of your life. In other words, not only do we need to know what it means to be saved by faith and what Christ has done, but we also have to live by faith every single day because of what Christ has done. 
And so that's why I have these two chairs up here this morning. I want to give you a simple illustration of what I am talking about. A simple illustration of what it means to have 100% confidence in what Christ has done. So you see here, the first chair is called renounce or renunciation. I mean, this is the chair where you're sitting if you're trusting in yourself. This is a chair where you are by yourself. Now to get from the chair of renunciation to the chair of reliance, where I'm trusting in Jesus 100%, I actually have to get up, right? Move over and sit down again. You see it? Got to get up, move over, sit down again. You see, in that chair, it's 100% confidence what Christ has done. Now the problem is, people want to sit on both chairs. They say, I believe Jesus has saved me by His grace. But then over time, as we continue sitting in this life, we want to sort of scooch over and have one side of our body back on the other chair. We start to depend on ourselves again. And that is a problem. So this, this last chair, reliance, is the chair you're sitting on if you're in Christ. If you're sitting on this chair, you're in yourself. And you have a problem. So we have to renounce ourselves. Get up from it. Move over and rely on Jesus. Did you see that? But now, I'll, what if I did this? Is it now possible for me to sit with my body over two chairs? It's not possible anymore, right? And that's the point I want you to see today. Is like, if we want to be able to trust in Jesus 100%, we have to die to ourselves 100%. You can't have confidence in Jesus if you still have any confidence in yourself. And today we're going to see that if we understand the truth of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, then we will be living by faith alone. 100% trusting in what Jesus has done. We need to live in the reality of our new status before God. Every day we have to live in the present reality of our past justification. Because it is faith alone that saves us. And Paul says it is by faith alone that we should live. And for that to happen, we need to dig deeper into the gospel of grace. We need to take out our shovels and dig deeper, the shovels of grace, and dig deeper into this letter of Galatians to make sure we understand the truth of the gospel and how it shapes our lives every single day. And so to do that, we need to understand three big ideas from our text today. And the first one is, how dead we are to the law and sin. Then we're going to see that in verse 17 to 19. Then secondly, we're going to talk about how united we are to Jesus. Verse 20, the first half. And then thirdly, how alive we are to live by faith. The second half of verse 20 and 21. So take your Bibles and let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we'll read from verses 15 to 21. Galatians chapter 2, and we'll read from verse 15 to 21. I do not have the words on the screen for you today, but I do hope you have your Bibles, because I want you to get comfortable in opening up your Bibles. So let's read. 
Galatians 2.15 We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But, verse 17, But if for now endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now I wonder, this is such a big text, honestly. This is such a remarkable portion of Scripture. And I wonder if you even read this and you just hear this. Have you ever had the thought or heard someone say, if God has already made us righteous when we believe in Jesus, then why should I really care about how I'm living every day? Have you ever thought about that yourself? Because if you think about it, is God not kind of being responsible for forgiving us so much the way He does? By taking salvation completely out of our hands. You see, people who fail to understand the truth of the gospel will either keep living as they used to, because, hey, Jesus did it all, right? Or they will go to the other extreme. And they become such legalists that they default to wanting to maintain their status before God on their own efforts. Now, Paul has clearly described to us the truth of the gospel last week in verses 15 to 16. That no one will be justified by works of the law. So what's our only option? The only option is what? Faith in Jesus, right? Faith in Jesus. He showed us that even as Jews themselves, that he, Peter, they also believed and had faith in Jesus for their justification. They did not rely on their own efforts to keep the law. But now his argument continues. He's saying that if you're going to live in light of the reality of your justification and your permanent standing before God, you need to firstly understand how dead you are to the law and sin. How dead you are to the law and sin. Verses 17 to 19. You see, a Christian is someone who is dead to the law and has been set free from the law. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. So we see his argument here, picking up in verse 17 again, that Paul essentially knew that people will be arguing that if God gives his righteousness away for free then the implication will be that people start living a life of sin. And that's why Paul's asking this strange question. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, verse 17, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a sermon of sin? 
I mean, it seems like an odd question, right? Talking about Jesus being a minister of sin. Our minds struggle to compute. How is Jesus a minister of sin? So what is Paul saying? What does he have in mind here? Because we see he's already used this word sinners back in verse 15. To describe the attitude that Jews had towards the Gentiles. The Gentiles are sinners because they didn't have the boundaries of the law. They were always going to sin because they did not have the law. To show them how to live in the presence of a holy God. And that is the problem the Jews actually had with Peter and Paul. By eating with the Gentiles, they too were living like Gentile sinners. And not like these devout religious Jews. They used to keep the law in order to be right with God. But now they stopped. And so Paul knows this, so he throws this question to address that kind of thinking, which basically says, if Jesus has made us free from the law to eat anything with anyone, then let me get this straight. Are you then saying, Jews, that Jesus is in fact the one who is promoting this new life of being like a gentle sinner? If Jesus said we don't need the law anymore, does that mean he is the one who actually is promoting a life of sin? I mean, another way to see it is if the Judaizers were actually right and that you can have faith in Jesus, but you also need the law to to be right with God, then for them it means Jesus must simply be a liar. He must be a liar. He's wrong. I mean, to us that seems ridiculous, right? How can Jesus promote a life of sin? And that's actually the point Paul's trying to make here because you put yourself in the shoes of the Jews again. And remember, from day one, they come into the system where they know because of the law of Moses, that's all they have to do to be right with God. I mean, this is very deep for them. And now Jesus says, He's come to set people free from the law. And Paul and Peter came to put their trust in this reality. And so for the Jews, it would be as if Jesus then was promoting a life of sin. But then Paul explains, he says, this is just crazy. This is crazy. This is not possible to say Jesus is a minister of sin. He says, certainly not. That's how Paul responds to his own question. Certainly not. Which means the same as, may it never be, like we read in Romans, right? Paul's like, to think this kind of thing is absolute madness. As one commentator says, this question must have shaken Peter to his bones. Why? Well, he goes on to explain. Well, it's one thing to be called a hypocrite. It's another thing to be called a sinner. But now to be accused of making Jesus a minister of sin, to be a liar, this would be shocking and repulsive. You see, through his actions, Peter was making Jesus out to be a liar. And so we need to feel the weight of that. Because honestly, sometimes we live in ways where we go back to our own performance. And essentially what you're doing is you're making Jesus out to be a liar. I mean, think about it. It could not have been easy for Paul to even have suggested such a thing. To have even said something like this. But he needed to say it to wake the Galatians up. But then he goes on to explain that he actually, he takes, and he does, what he does is he takes the spotlight off Peter and he puts it back on himself. Saying that Jesus is not a minister of sin in verse 18. He says, for if I, 
rebuild what I tore down, I proved myself to be a transgressor. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that if anyone else who try and rebuild a system where you have to do good works in order to be right with God, a system that Jesus came to destroy, break down, obliterate, it's gone. If you're going to try and fix that system again, then that person makes himself a transgressor. It's not Jesus that makes you the transgressor. You make yourself the transgressor. Every time you do something that suggests that grace and faith in Jesus is not enough to be right with God. Every brick you put down to rebuild that wall of division, you're laying down the brick of sin. One by one, making you a transgressor each time. In other words, to maybe think about in our day, if you say you believe in Jesus, but you keep on living as if Jesus didn't change anything in your life, then I don't think you really understand the gospel. Or if you say, I believe in Jesus, but you go right back to your own efforts, relying on yourself, trusting yourself, then I don't think you get the gospel. And Paul says you have to understand the deeper realities of the gospel. And he's like, here's the reality. Let me explain the reality of what happens when you have turned from yourself to Jesus. 19, verse 19. For through the law, I die to the law, so that I might live to God. This is the key idea from these three verses. If you're going to live by faith every day, we have to recognize how dead we are to the law and sin. What's been knocked down should stay down. But what does it mean that Paul died to the law? Because what does the text say? The law didn't die, did it? Paul is the one who died. You see, before Paul was a Christian, he lived for the law. That was his life. That's what he knew. But now he says, understand this. I cannot go back to living that same way, because that way is dead. John Calvin, he says as well, he says, to die to the law is to renounce it and to be freed from its dominion. So that we have no confidence in it, and it does not hold us captive under the yoke of slavery. And what Paul says is that it was in fact the law, through the law more specifically, that he was persuaded to abandon the law. And through the law, he died to it. And so think about it this way. We're going to talk about this in chapter 3 later as well. You see, when the law comes, it brings a curse, right? A curse. If you fail to keep all of the law, you are condemned to death. But Paul is now going to be pointing to our union with Christ, because he is saying, in my union with Jesus, I die to the law. And the law has no more claim on me. Because what does Galatians 4.4 say? It says that Jesus was born under the law. So when he came into this world, he was under the law. And he lived his life under the law. And he got 100% living under the law and keeping the law. And because of our union with Him, He fulfills the requirement of the law on my behalf. He's my representative. But not only does He fulfill the law, He also pays the penalty for those who break the law. As Galatians 3 says, becoming a curse for us. 
Therefore, Jesus not only obeys the requirements of the law, but then he goes to the cross, becoming the curse that we should have endured. We are under the curse because of our sin. I am the one who's guilty before a holy God. And so he pays the penalty for my broken law in his death. Look how Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 verse 1. And this is such a beautiful, vivid illustration here. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman, now I'll give you an example. You see, think of this picture. For a married woman is bound to the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. How? Through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit with God. You see, it's clearly not our relationship with the law that will save us, it's our relationship and our union with Jesus. And more specifically, this vital union with Christ. So Paul says clearly, understand this Galatians. You can't go back to the law because you have died to the law. And if you're dead, the law does not have a claim on your life anymore. Which means you, if you're a true believer, you're no longer under the power and the dominion of the law. The law condemns you to death. It shows you how sinful you are. But it shows you the solution. It points you to the Savior. I mean, like this chair. You have to get out of the chair of self-reliance and your own efforts. And you almost like have to kick this chair over. Kick it over. It's gone. It's dead. You can't go back to it. You've been released from it. That system does not control you anymore. But for this to be real, Paul says, first you have to die before you can live. First you have to die before you can live. Paul says he died to the Lord so that he can live to God. But then the question that should come to our minds is, when exactly did Paul die to the law? Well, that's kind of what he says next in verse 20, isn't it? When he was crucified with Christ. He has died to the law when he was crucified with Christ, which means we have to understand how united we are to Jesus. And if we understand how united we are to Jesus, we will understand how we've died to the law. So first, do you understand how dead you are to the law? But now secondly, how united we are to Jesus Christ. For I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, Paul makes it clear now when he died to the law. It was when he was crucified. More specifically, when he was crucified with Christ. Now think about the cross for a moment. If you read your Bible, you'll see there's at least four things that were nailed to the cross, right? Do you know what they are? Those four things? The most obvious is what? Jesus. His hands and feet, right? 
But then John 19, 19 says there was also a sign that was nailed to the cross. The sign that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The third thing was nailed to the cross was what? Well, Colossians 2.12 tells us, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made a lie together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, here it is, by cancelling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. So it's Jesus, it's the sign, and it's our sinful record of debts. But what does Galatians say is the fourth thing that was nailed to the cross? It's you! You were nailed to the cross. Those who are true followers of Jesus has also been nailed to the cross. So notice Paul's personal language here. He says, I was crucified. Because this was a historical fact. This was a reality for Paul when he became a true believer. In other words, because of how united we are to Jesus, when He died on the cross, true believers died with Him there. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Again, let's consider Romans. Romans 6, verses 3 to 7. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been united with Him, do you hear that? United with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 6, We know that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. You see, when you put your faith and total trust in Jesus, you are put in union with the second person of the Trinity. So it's like you were nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed to the cross. You were raised from the dead in the empty tomb when Jesus was raised from the empty tomb. And so think about it. If we are united to Christ by faith, this is it. Everything Christ has ever done becomes something you have done. Everything Christ has ever done becomes something you have done. And if that is true, then it means that God sees me as someone who has perfectly kept the law. He sees you as someone with a hundred percent. He sees me perfectly righteous. He sees me as being dead to the law. He sees me as being someone that has been set free from sin. Because I've been crucified with His Son. I was on the cross. The law that carried out its death penalty against us nailed us to the cross. And there's nothing the law can do to improve my status before God. So why would I go back to it? If the law cannot change my status before God, why do we go back to a church? To find our right standing before God. Because we already have by faith 
being so united to Jesus, the perfect status of his son. Because notice how Paul describes all of this. He says, it's no longer I who live. It's like Paul is saying, since I've died with Christ on this vicious cross, I no longer have a life of my own. Because you know what? When you become a Christian, self has been crucified. Self has been crucified. My kingdom and my rules have been destroyed. You're living for a new kingdom and a new king. And so just think about the implications and the extent of this. I mean, Romans 6 tells us the old man was crucified. He's dead. Which means he's dead to sin. Sin doesn't control this person anymore. Yes, it wants to pretend it's still in charge, but the reality is it's not. Then in Galatians 5.24, later Paul says, the sinful passions of the flesh have been crucified. Galatians 6.14 But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Which kind of sounds like what Paul was saying in the beginning of the letter. That we have been so united to Jesus and rescued from this present evil age. Through the death of Jesus. Raising up with Jesus. And so the reality then is if you have died with Jesus, you don't live for yourself anymore. You are no longer dominated by your own thoughts of how great you are seeking your own pleasure. This life of pride and pleasure where you find identity and how good you do and getting that 99%. Rather, because of faith in Jesus, you have to believe, which is faith, that your self-esteem is now Christ-esteem. Your positive self-image is seeing yourself in Christ. Saying every day to yourself, not I, but Christ. Because Paul says, it's no longer I who live. That person is dead. He's gone. It's now Christ who lives in me. I mean, if you think about it, this is one of those texts where your mind just wants to explode. Christ in me. Because the Bible actually talks a lot about being in Christ, right? If you've been reading your New Testament, it says it all the time. It says about being in Him, in Christ. But now Paul actually says, Christ is in you. Like what Ephesians 3.17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Or Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of His glory, of this mystery, this mystery, which is Christ in you. Definitely does seem like a mystery some days, doesn't it? The idea of having Christ in you. Because many days go by and it doesn't really feel like Jesus is in you. You still struggle with all these fleshly desires. Struggle to have joy. You struggle to control your temper. To love your neighbor as yourself. What we need to realize, it's not only how united we are to Jesus, but because of our union in Christ, everything we have in, in this life, any good we do, comes from God. One man says, no saving good, no eternal good, 
No God-exalting good, no soul-satisfying good comes to us except as we are connected to Christ. And so think about it again. Not only does God look at you and see Jesus and His perfect righteousness in you, He lives in you. He lives in you to help you grow in your holiness every single day. To know that when I'm confronted with my sin, I am not alone. When I'm tempted to watch something I shouldn't, I am not alone. When I'm suffering at the hands of this broken world, it's for my good and I am not alone. I have the righteousness and the the presence and the power of God in my life. I mean, it's being confronted with this very real desire and these feelings and, and this temptation to do something you know is wrong and you slow down and you, you go to God and you have to almost, you have to memorize this verse in your mind and you, as you're going before God, you say, God, you see me because of Jesus. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Help me by faith to turn from this temptation. Help me to trust you in this moment and obey. And what Paul is saying is, in moments like that and in any situation, good or bad, understand how dead you are to the law and sin. Remember, it does not have control over you anymore. Understand how united you are to Jesus. That when God looks at you, He sees Jesus. And now thirdly, understand how alive you are in Jesus. How alive you are in Jesus. The second half of verse 20. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, Paul is really giving us this amazing encouragement today. That since we live in Christ and we are united to Christ, we no longer live under the power of sin. We rather live in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ for the glory of God every single day. Knowing that we are dead to the law in ourselves, but we have to also know that we are resurrected with Jesus. Not only did we die on the cross with Jesus, we were brought to newness of life. And when you are raised with Jesus, God says He gives you a new nature, doesn't He? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. Again, that's the key. In Christ. He is what? A new creation. We have this whole new kind of life that we have to live. One that Paul says is to be lived by faith. This new life of faith after death in the flesh is one that is to be lived by constant faith and all these wonderful truths and what God says in the gospel. Because not only are we justified by faith, we have to live by faith, church. A faith that now understands and really believes that I am truly dead to sin. I am dead to the Lord. It has no claim on me. I'm actually seen as righteous. I'm seen as cleared of all the debt that was against me. All the charges are gone. A life of faith that knows that the full deliverance and completion of my sinfulness and my holiness will one day come. 
One day it's coming. When Jesus comes back today, or in a hundred years from now, I'm still right with God because of what Jesus has done. Uniting me to Himself. Empowering me to live in His presence. Now when Paul says we continue to live this life in the flesh by faith, it's as if he's saying that every time we struggle with sin, we are in fact reminded of our own weakness of this very age. This new age has not arrived in its fullness. The arrival, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus has brought in this new age, yes, where the law is fulfilled in Christ, but the full completion and this reality of perfection, 100% perfection for the rest of our lives, starts now and it is going to carry on into eternity when Jesus comes back. The full implications are still coming. And so as we wait, as we wait right now every single day for Jesus to come, we are called to live in this kind of faith. We have to have the right motivations, Paul says. And what are the motivations that motivated him? Well, he tells us two clear ones. Someone who understands how they are united in Christ will live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The new life in Christ is motivated by the sacrificial love of Jesus. It is a life of faith and not a life of trying to keep the law on your own. The very presence of God in me motivates me to live by faith for Him every single day. By remembering what He has done. Is that what motivates you, church? Romans 5.8, Paul says, But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 15.13 Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Do you know what the very next verse says in verse 14? You are my friends, Jesus says, if you do what I command you. You see, the motivations have changed. I don't do the commands to earn the love. I have the love and therefore I do the commands. If we truly understand the love of God, we will not only be in this intimate friendship with Him, but we would want to obey Him. It's not like our kids, when we go to our kids and say, obey us, and they go, okay, I'll do it, but they walk with these long faces. Yeah, I'll do it, but they're walking around like this. It's a joyful obedience that understands the love they have from their parents. I want to obey my parents because I know my parents love me. And so when I stop to consider how much God loves me. It gives me the right perspective about life. It gives me confidence in the midst of my struggle. Because the confidence I have is not in myself anymore. Praise God. The confidence I have is not in myself anymore. That guy is dead. The confidence lies in the constant, steadfast love and the presence of God in my life. So when someone says he's a Christian and you act with that, interact with that Christian outside the church or even inside the church and he says, yes, I am living by faith. I'm living by faith when our country is falling apart. 
I'm living by faith when the Taliban is taking over. I'm living by faith when the fourth wave of the corona is expected in December. I live by faith, and according to Galatians 2, that Christian is saying it's not so much a blind faith as it is a resurrected faith. A confident faith. Because I know and trust and believe, I have all the certainty that Jesus is with me. Because God says He lives within me. He loves me. And then how, someone might say, how do I know that for sure? But how do I know that for sure? Because He's willing to give Himself up for you. When everyone else is trying to flee and immigrate from the broken society they live in, Jesus says, put me in coach, I'm going there. I'm stepping into the chaos. Because I love these people. If you stop and slow down about it, think about it. It's like before the foundations of the world, God has united Jesus to you so that He can come and save you and rescue you from this present evil age. But do you notice how personal this is for Paul? It's so personal because he says, He loved me. He gave Himself up for me. And we talked about this last week as well. The truth of justification by faith has to be personal because Christ died for your sins individually. And because you are so attached to Jesus by faith, in your union with Him, every true believer can say, He loves me. He died for me. So just realize this. You don't understand the gospel until you can say, for me. You don't believe the gospel until you can say, He loved me and gave Himself up for me. All this treasure of the gospel is for each person individually. God has a lot of love to give away. There's no shortage. And so we have to have the right motivations if we are going to live by faith. Some people are motivated by the love of self, their reputation, how much other people love them and sing their praises and clap hands for them. Or even motivated by the fear of man like we saw in the beginning of Galatians, reverting back to a life of trying to keep the law to be right with God, fooling ourselves and trying to fool other people that we are indeed these good Christians on Sunday. And Paul says, if you want to mess up what Christ has done, if you want to nullify the grace of God and all this work of grace that Jesus has done, then you know what you should do? You should have the attitude, well, Jesus paid it all so I can just live like I want. I don't have to work to fight sin and be holy at all because He did it all. Or we live like the Jews and go back to the law and try and rely on our own efforts. Because that's verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, what Paul is making clear is that the love of God and the death of Jesus will be absolutely useless if we could get righteousness through our own works. By trying to keep the law. I mean, I like Tim Keller. He's got this great illustration. He talks about... A house being on fire. 
And it's me coming to you and say, let me run into the burning house. I want to show you how much I love you. But there's no one in the house. Seems pretty useless, doesn't it? But if your kids are in the house and I say, I want to show you how much I love you, I'm going to run into this burning house to rescue your kids. That's true love, right? And so think about it this way. Let's say the Judaizers were right. Let's say they were right. Let's say you could be right with God through keeping the law and faith in Jesus. Then try to explain why we take communion. What's the purpose of communion? Try and explain why Jesus died on a cross. If you could earn righteousness through your own works, why did Jesus have to go to a cross? See, the cross is necessary only if it has the power to bring sinners like you and me into a right relationship with God. Otherwise, all that pain, all that blood, all that mockery spitting on the Son of God at the cross of Calvary was useless. Jesus would be crying out, it is finished, and he's lying because it's not finished. If you could earn righteousness through your own works. And so let me ask you again, on what chair are you sitting? On what chair are you sitting? Are you trusting in yourself? Have you gotten up and fully sat down in Christ? Trusting Him every single day for your righteousness. Or are you perhaps trying to sit on both? Do you understand how dead you are to sin and the law? Do you understand how united you are to Jesus? Are you living each day by faith, trusting in the sacrificial love most vividly displayed when your Savior went to a cross? And so today we see we need to live in the reality of our justification. We need to live by faith. And that means at least a couple of things. One, it means I will fight sin. I will fight sin knowing that it does not have power over me anymore. I am dead to it. I have Christ who strengthens me and to fight and live by faith every day, knowing and believing I'm justified by what He has done. Second, I boast in Jesus. Every good work I do is only because of Jesus. If I'm making it about me, I'm not making it about Jesus. Then I'm forgetting my identity as I am found in Christ, because it's in Christ alone then I find my identity. So whenever you feel unworthy, you have low self-esteem, you feel lonely, remember this verse, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. God sees me as Jesus. 100% righteousness. We need to remember who we are. Thirdly, it requires that I constantly remind myself of how God sees me. We forget it so easily. I am his child. I was an enemy, but now I'm his child. I once was labeled a sinner. Now I'm labeled a son. That kind of truth brings comfort to our souls as we battle ourselves our way through this dark world, doesn't it? 
And then finally, make sure you are motivated by grace and not your own efforts, church. Make sure you're motivated by grace and not your own efforts. Some people are motivated to do good, to do good for the wrong reasons. Some people even have no motivation at all. The fact that we are justified by grace through faith in Christ changes all of that. Everything. It compels me to live for the glory of God. Every time I see the cross, I see Jesus, I see Jesus loving me, giving himself up for me, being raised to newness of life, to live by faith in what he has done, renouncing my own efforts, going to the funeral of myself, worshiping the new life I have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing reality that we are united to Christ. Father, once we understand our union with Christ, we see that you don't ask us to attain what we are not. You only call us to accomplish what already is. What is our status before God? Accepted, loved for all eternity. Righteous, perfect. And so the pursuit of holiness is not this unattainable effort to do just what Jesus did. He did it. And we need to trust that by faith. That as we fight to live out this life, we have been made alive with Christ. Father, we think of one man that said, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. I'm not afraid of the devil. The devil can, cannot handle me. He's got some moves and some lies and some schemes, but he cannot handle me because I'm united to the one, I'm joined to the one that he cannot handle. To the one I'm united, he can't handle the one whose nature dwells in my nature. Father, help us to really grow in our faith, to really believe the depth of the gospel. You're so gracious to give us the truth of the gospel. Help us to enjoy it this week. Help us to swim in it this week. Help us to just enjoy the reality of living by faith because of Jesus dying in our place. Knowing that we have died to sin ourselves. Knowing that we are so united to Jesus, that we are raised with Him. That we live every day with the motivation of love and service and suffering for the good of this world until you come back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.